Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. first lesson for today is taken from Exodus, the 24th chapter, beginning with the 8th verse. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, Abu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There under his seat, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief of men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let, them, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was in the like devouring fire on the top of a mountain inside of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Our responsive reading is taken from Psalm 2. Please respond as indicated in your bulletin. As for me, I have set, on my, king, set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You 
Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The second lesson is taken from Second Peter, the first chapter, beginning with the 16th verse. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are, were eyewitness of his majesty. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will pay full attention as the lamp shining in a dark place, until the, dawn, till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For now prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. And after six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I think I have a small crowd of children today, but I'd like to invite the three of them up for a children's sermon. Hi, buddy. All right, I guess we'll sit over here today. You can join us if you want. (laughs) All right, so, hi, sweetheart. So the transfiguration, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty big word, isn't it? It's a pretty complex topic. Yeah? 
So in Sunday school today, did you guys make a, a little plate with into a sun? Right? Did you have you ever gone outside and looked at the sun? Yeah. Did you see how bright it is? Yeah, very bright. Very bright. Yeah, I went out and it was too You have to wear sunglasses, right? So can you imagine Jesus' face being that bright? So have, if you ever looked at somebody's face, could you imagine that face being as bright as the sun? Yeah. That's what Jesus is doing right, right? Oh, cool. Well, for today, our lesson is talking about how Jesus' face became bright like the sun. And Peter will go on and tell us that this isn't something that he made up to woo the crowds, to make them all think that this, he really preached that this happened. So this is a moment that we get to see Jesus be what we always declare as him, being fully God and fully man. Where in the moment he shows us just a small glimpse of his glory. I'm going to pray with you guys before we go back. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the transfiguration in this wonderful text that you have given us to reveal to us your Son in all of his glory. We ask that you allow the word to be the lamp below all of our feet as we go forward in this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, many of you or some of you may know, uh, I do enjoy uh, reading. I think that's pretty common for uh, the position of a pastor to be a, an avid reader. I read a lot of theology books and a lot of uh, Lutheran theology from throughout the 500 years. I read a variety of other views as well to ensure what I believe to be held strong and so I always read things that might uh, give me a, a run for my money and uh, challenge me in my views. And uh, I think that's a healthy manner to approach this uh, kind of career. Because you all, whatever denomination you find yourself in, there's always going to be another group out there that's going to see things a little differently and they're going to preach things a little differently. But beyond the theology books that I read... I also like to dabble in sci-fi and fantasy books, and I like to read about the myths and the legends and things of that. Uh, one of those things I found to be quite enticing is just like the Greek mythology. And during the time of the Greeks and how they had a god and a story for everything and everybody. There was a god that they worshipped for literally everything. And in fact, Paul will go on in the book of Acts to show us that they had so many gods that they even had a plaque for all of the gods that they couldn't name, the unnamed gods. And that's what Paul uses to preach the one true God. But in all of this, it's interesting because we know that they're praying or they're worshiping false gods and false deities. We know that through the fantasy books and the sci-fi books and movies and all the sorts, that they're just made up. They're myths and legends and you know, whether you're reading Bela for 
any of these sorts, the Loch Ness Monster, King Arthur, all of those wonderful fantasy books, they're all made up. There's no, there's really, they're, they're, they might be based upon some facts in history, but in general, the stories are made up. And I think that helps us to kind of maybe get a picture of what Peter's actually trying to say in today's lesson, where he says, we didn't come with any sort of myth. I didn't have to look back into my library of thought and, and try and correlate this to anything. Instead, I preach the truth of what happened on that mountain. And so as we've come to Transfiguration Sunday again upon us, as we begin our journey into the season of Lent next Sunday, I was interested in this passage once again, but not so much from how Matthew took it, because we've had a couple of years where we've taken on the, the topic of Matthew and Luke and how they deal with the transfiguration. But I wanted to look at it this year through the eyes of Peter and what Peter writes in one of his letters. He begins with this, that they mention this, not that they follow some cleverly devised myth when they speak of the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as the fantasy novels and movies and all the games and everything we have and today, they had their own myths and legends back then. And Peter points out that he didn't have to use any of it. He didn't have to go into some story and say, yeah, this event was like that, and, or he didn't have to correlate or tie any of these pieces together. No, he simply points directly to the event and says, this is what happened. The transfiguration that Peter's describing is a unique moment in the ministry of Christ, but really, if we were to lay it all out for us. Every moment in the ministry of Christ is unique. We have a man who's come to us, God in the flesh, living amongst us, healing people, raising the dead, curing the sick, making the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk, forgiving sin, something that the Pharisees were very much opposed to. And so everything we see in any of the gospel accounts and in any of the epistles and letters is a unique point in the ministry of Christ. But this one is exceptionally important as we celebrate it every year. We get to see Jesus literally transform in our text. The gospel of Matthew will tell us that his face becomes as bright as the sun and his clothes as bright as white. This is the moment that we get to catch just a glimpse of the glory and majesty of God before he goes to the cross. The Greek word here that is used in this text uh, for transfiguration means metamorphosis. And basically it's a simple term, if you would. It's a long word, but it's a simple term just that the appearance of something is changing. And so Jesus, in his appearance as man, has now changed into his glorified deity. His face is bright as a sun and his clothes as white as light. And we will even see foreshadowing of this particular text in how John describes Jesus in the book of Revelation, in the first chapter. And as I was talking with our youth and our children, it's interesting to think about a face as bright as the sun, because if you step outside... On a day like today, the sun's shining bright. 
but you're not going to go and stare at it. It's going to hurt your eyes. In fact, even if you put sunglasses on, you won't want to stare at the sun directly. If you go out and you have really good sunglasses with UV protection, you still don't want to stare at the sun because it's just so bright and it'll hurt your eyes. Can you imagine being Peter, James, or John and standing on the mountain as Jesus transfigures and it's just as sheer bright as possible? In fact, they describe in the book of Revelation that there is no day or night in heaven because the glory of Christ is so bright, he provides light for all things. Think about that. That is how bright his face and his clothing is in this moment. This is the glorified and perfect Christ. This is the one who is taking, has been taking on the sins of the world from the beginning of his ministry till this moment, and as he will then go and take those to the cross. As Paul tells us, and I say it all the time, he becomes sin. He becomes our sin, who knew no sin. He didn't commit any of the sin, but he took our sin upon himself and became sin, so that when he died on the cross, God could pour out his wrath upon him. But this is a moment before the cross, and this is a moment before the trials that Jesus undergoes, that we get to see the perfect and glorified Christ. And this is what the resurrected Christ will appear to in the second coming. But an interesting thought, I, I thought, as I was writing through this, at the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples as normal. Now, we know that he enters a locked room, and so his body is able to do things that go against the logics of physics, but he appears, and the only thing that's really abstract about it is that he's got the holes in his hands, the hole in his side, and the holes in his ankles. I, I don't know how it would be having an actual hole all the way through your hand, but Jesus shows that to his disciples, and he says, this is me. I was the one on the cross just a few days ago. And here I am, standing before you. He's not in his transfigured state. He's in his still bodily state. In fact, we only catch a glimpse of this in this text of the Gospels. And so after the resurrection, Jesus appears, and he still has all of these holes in his hands and feet and all. But we won't see the true glorified Christ until the second coming. And so... I think that this passage is so much more impactful for us because we get to see just how perfect our God is. In front of Moses and Elijah, James, John, and Peter, Jesus is displaying his full perfection. In this moment, he is demonstrating his full glory and his full majesty. Now, this particular moment, as Matthew records, comes six, some six days after Peter makes this confession that Christ is Lord. And this is that point that Jesus demonstrates that. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is promised through the prophets. So it is interesting to see Peter's words here when he gets up to the mountain and he sees this transfiguration and he goes, Lord, Maybe I should make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, as Peter's doing this, he's equating Jesus to Moses and Elijah. He's saying that you, I, I, just, I see you on equal plane. 
He doesn't quite see that Jesus is above Moses and Elijah, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He doesn't quite get that yet. And I thought that this was interesting, too, how the gospel can kind of be a little bit humorous. Peter's still speaking. He's probably up there just rambling on about making these tents and trying to explain to Jesus why I should make these tents and why he's got to do this when God interrupts him. Peter's just talking and babbling, and God says, yeah, okay, you're, you're done. Let me make my proclamation, because that is what is important. And Peter continuously kind of just babbles at some points. And, and, and while Peter goes on to become one of the most phenomenal apostles, the accounts in the Gospels are always interesting because it feels like sometimes Peter puts his foot in his mouth. He says the really good stuff, and then five minutes later he kind of stumbles about it. In fact, six days earlier to the Transfiguration, when he makes that proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Messiah, Jesus tells him, gives him another foreshadowing of his death to come. And Peter goes, oh, no, no, Lord, we won't let that be. We will defend you. Peter puts his foot in his mouth and Jesus tells, him to, tells Satan to get behind him. Interesting that the whole sermon that we can preach on that text. But Peter, in this frame, doesn't quite understand what's going on. And so he's just up there rambling about building tents, because Peter was a tent maker. And so he thought he could use his profession to, to demonstrate to Elijah and Moses and Jesus how good of a tent he could make. And God interrupts him, and he just speaks over Peter. You know, Peter's rambling in sheer ignorance. And he doesn't quite realize the, the, the magnificence or how important this moment was until after the resurrection. Jesus even commands them at the end of Matthew, as they're coming down the mountainside, don't tell anybody until you've seen the Son of Man raised from the dead. So Peter, later in his life and in his ministry, will pin a letter to fellow Christians. He will write two of them, First and Second Peter. And in this passage that we heard Brooks speak on, we can see that Peter finally gets it. He is demonstrating for us his understanding. And in that, he is showing us that this isn't just a myth that they made up. This isn't something that they got together and devised a very clever story to entice people, to get them to believe. No, they just speak the truth. I was wrapping up some of my work for my master's this week, and I had uh, pinned a, a, a teaching point, and I had to write these curriculums and all that sort, and in that I, I thought it was quite interesting that the apostles aren't interpreting scripture. They're not out to give their viewpoint of scripture. They are just telling you, this is what happened. This is what we witnessed. These are the things that we saw. And that's what Peter says. He's not trying to create some story and make it kind of weave in and out of the rest of the Gospels. In fact, Peter's just echoing what Matthew wrote. Peter's just echoing what he saw in that moment. And then he lets that just resonate in the listener's ear. As he mentions further on, he uses this to defend against false teachers' claims. 
that he and his apostles had invented these stories. He uses that. We didn't devise these clever myths because he knew, just as all of the apostles dealt with, there were false teachers already going on. Paul writes about the Judaizers in Galatians, he, and John will write about the proto-Gnostics in his first letter. And so we know within the first century, false teachers were already running around. Peter, in fact, will go on in the next chapter and write a whole chapter about false teaching and how they are just heaping on their own destruction. So this is a very important moment that Peter gives us to us. He didn't just make up this to wow the people. He didn't just create some story. But he is writing exactly what he saw. And I'm sure Matthew the scribe, obviously we know Matthew's not up on the mountainside with him, but Matthew the scribe took down probably what Peter had told him. This is what happened. This is what we witnessed. And Matthew records it. In verse 19 of Peter's letter, we see an interesting note. He says that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. I think it is not any, a bit of a shock to any of us sitting here that the entirety of the Old Testament points us to Christ. Every passage in the Old Testament points us to Christ in some capacity, points us to Christ. They confirm the entire apostolic witness of him. So this personal eyewitness account of Peter is even more trustworthy because the prophets and the law spoke about this moment and about the coming Lord and the Messiah to be displayed. And so Peter not only relies upon his authority as an apostle, but the authority of the Old Testament to continue to establish his foundation of truth. He goes on to mention Jesus being this lamp in a dark place. We know the connections uh, through the Gospel of John and the prologue, the first 18 verses of chapter 1. We know how the light comes into the world, and we are the light. We talked about that even a couple of weeks ago, being salt and light. And so this lamp in a dark place is something that is a continual theme that comes up through Scripture. And for anybody who's listened to my podcast, uh, it is a slogan that I use for my show. Uh, I have some t-shirts made up a number of years ago, and on the back I've got Psalm 119, 105, and it says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And this is exactly what Peter's stating. He's echoing this verse amongst many others as he is telling us about this lamp being in the dark place to shine Bright, Because what happens when you turn on lights in a dark room? All the darkness is driven out. And that is what Jesus does. Drives out the darkness. The word of God acts as a lamp below our feet in this dark world. And it will continue to do this until the return of Christ. Luther says this on this passage. We must have the light or the word of God to cling to until the last day. Then we shall no longer need the word. Just as artificial light is extinguished when the day dawns, he binds us, fix our he bids us to fix our eyes and our keenness of mind on the word alone, on baptism, on the Lord's Supper, and on the absolution, and to regard everything else as darkness. 
I do not come to understand or care about what is done in this world by the sons of this age, for they crucify me. I cannot escape or draw away that horrible mask which hides the face of God, but I must stay in darkness, in exceedingly dark mist, until a new light shines forth. Luther has some incredibly profound and powerful words about the power of God's word and how this is the text that continuously screams for us to stand upon these promises, the word and the sacraments. God's word, our baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and the absolution. The beginning of every service, we open with the confession and absolution. You confess to God your sins, and me as a called and ordained minister in the church of God, I am the mouth of God back to you to reassure you your sins are forgiven. These are the things that we as Christians hold on to. It's not your work, it's not your attitude, your behavior, or anything other than that, but it is those promises that God gives you. So Peter goes on to assert in this little caption that he is displaying this because this is what truly happened. He makes this stance against the false teaching of the age because he knew that there would be those who would try and steer people away. Peter asserts that the apostles did not write what they merely thought or interpreted, but God inspires them. And it was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the apostles and the scribes wrote what they wrote. As much then as it is now, the fight against the false teaching is still ever present in the church. In fact, as I had mentioned earlier, Peter goes on in the second chapter to write a whole letter to go against the false teaching of that age which is still relevant for today's church. We might not want to think that, oh, my favorite teacher on TBN is, a, is, is preaching a bad gospel. But the truth be told, it's everywhere. It's rampant. The church is saturated, not just on the big popular stages, but even in small churches. False teaching is, is, is there. Anything that takes us away from the word and the sacraments Anything that takes us away, as Luther says, is utter darkness. That is what we as Christians hold to. Because, see, in the word and the sacraments, we find all of the truth of Christ magnified and glorified. In the, true, in the word and the, and the sacraments, every truth is displayed. So if me, from this pulpit, preaches anything else, as Paul goes on to say in Galatians, then let me be accursed. If any angel comes down and preaches to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. If any preacher teaches you anything different, let them be accursed. Because that's what Paul is saying in that passage in Galatians. And that's what Peter is echoing here in his letter. See, you could read every letter in the New Testament. And there's only going to be one letter that does not talk about false teaching. That's Philemon. And Philemon is just a very short letter that Paul pins to a, to a very particular person in a very unique situation. Every letter in the New Testament has something to say about false teaching. If that doesn't start to ring the bells in our minds that we as Christians have to have discernment and understanding what we hear, then I don't know what else can. It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our ears to show us the truth in the Word and the sacraments. Anything else, as Luther goes on to say, 
should be utter darkness. And in those moments, as Peter has declared in his scripture, points to us numerous times, wherever that darkness is, there is the light of Christ that can be shown brightly to drive it out. And I could sit here and harp on false teaching all day. It's something that I tend to have a small vendetta against. Or the desire to fight against the social injustices of the world, to take anything and place it above the gospel. I can sit and write sermon upon sermon upon sermon and write books about it, but I'm convicted more on this sheer element of this text. Do you, sitting here in this congregation, believe the words from Matthew and Peter? Do you believe it? Does this sit in the back of your mind as truth? Or does it seem far-fetched, like a myth, like something you'd see on the sci-fi channel? Does this just sit there and you don't even need to be explained how or why it could possibly be true, but you just believe it to be true. What impact does the transfiguration have on you? Does it come off as a myth? Did you just read it in some fantasy book or a novel of some sort? Or is this the true display of the majesty and glory of Christ? If it is the latter, then we can assert that this man, Jesus Christ, is in fact the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is greater than Moses and Elijah. He is indeed God in the flesh. This is, as Matthew declares in the first chapter, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the beauty of the passage, that we get a glimpse of our Savior in his full glory. And that truth, as Peter writes and as Matthew has penned, is given to us and still holds validity today. That this event did not just was not something merely made up, but it is a fixed moment in time. This event truly happened, and this is something that all generations of Christians get to pay witness to. The one who has come in the flesh to forgive us and call us his own. Thank you for tuning in to another sermon brought to you by Pastor Alex at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have enjoyed these sermons and you are interested in helping support our church, you can do so by going to stratfordlutheran.org and clicking on the About Us tab. Then you will see a little link that says Support Our Church. You can click on that. It will bring you to a page called Vanco. And you can sign in, create an account, and you can either do a one-time gift or you can set up recurring gifts. 
It's easy, it's convenient, it's secure. It's what we've been using for the last four years in our church for our online giving platform. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider helping support our church as we continue to provide you godly centered content in the years to come. Thank you once again for listening and God bless.